Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is not a diving podcast with Scuba. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Um, just to start off this week, I've got to say thanks to everyone for the great reaction to last week's show, which was the first episode of this podcast. Uh, it was great to see so much uh, spirited discussion online regarding my conversation with Will Saul and, of course, all my... Uh, collected ramblings on the subject of streaming. Um, there won't be a 20-minute monologue at the end of this episode. You may be relieved to discover. But um, yeah, um, thanks to all of you for listening. And um, yeah, welcome welcome back to another episode. A um, couple of things to just uh, cover before we get into this week's conversation. Um, there is a playlist on Spotify set up via my artist page, so by the Scuba Spotify artist page, which contains all of the music discussed on this podcast as well as the episodes themselves. So if you're on Spotify, then uh, just jet over there and give that playlist a like so you can um, listen along, as it were, um, whilst you're checking the discussions. Um Regardless of what platform you're on, a rating or a review really, really would help us here. We're trying to establish an audience. Obviously, this is a brand new podcast. So the more ratings and the more reviews we collect, the um, more visible the show will be. So yeah, massive, massive thanks to everyone who's done that so far. And um, if you haven't, then that would be really, really appreciated regardless of where you're listening. The scubaofficial.io website contains a page which has all the relevant links that you will need for this show. So if you need something uh, in web browser format, it's uh, scubaofficial.io slash podcast for all the relevant stuff. So um, yeah, this week, as you will have noticed from the title, we have the singular artist known as Recondite. He's a really, really interesting person, someone who I've had many interesting conversations with over the years. And uh, I really wanted to get him on, to get him kind of down on the record um, with his quite unique take on on life and music and the way things work generally. So um, yeah, that's coming up. He has a brand new album out, actually came out digitally last Friday, 
the vinyl release will be in a couple of months time we talk about uh the difficulties of vinyl production in the conversation and also just albums generally so um that's something to look out for it's a great album and um would highly recommend checking it and additionally to that we have on hot flush which is the label that i run if you're not familiar a re-release of his phalanx ep including the track varg which was a really big tune uh, we've got a re-release of that on vinyl only with a limited edition printed sleeve um it's 50 units only 10 of them are signed by the man himself so um yeah this is available only on bandcamp exclusively through hot flush bandcamp so that's hotflush.bandcamp.com um you can jet over there right now and order a copy uh there won't be any more of those it's just 50 for the world so um yeah get involved with that so um yeah without further delay i don't think i've missed anything out oh no i have missed something out um, and I missed out last week as well. If you want to get involved with a discussion online for this, then we have a Hot Flush Discord server, uh, which contains within it a Not A Diving podcast channel. So um, there is a link in the show notes to this episode and also on the website to join that Discord server. So if you've got anything to say, then um, say it there. But if you're not a Discord person, then get me on Twitter at ScubaOfficial to um yeah berate me with anything i've got wrong or uh, or any suggestions in fact or any praise you might have some praise it is it is possible so without further delay let's get into the conversation here is recondite recondite welcome to the show um, I just want to clarify something before we get started because I think I'm pretty sure I've got a, a long history of mangling your the pronunciation to your real name. So for the benefit <laughs> of everyone, how do you pronounce your, your real name? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, good to talk to you after a while. Well, um, there are many ways to pronounce my artist name, I would say, even Myself, I pronounce it sometimes like differently. Sometimes no, I, I mean, say no, 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 no. I, I mean your real name, your your actual. Oh, my real I, name. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Well, my real name in German it's called Lorenz or Lorenz, and in English it's Lawrence, like the version with the L A W, R E N C E, but mine is L O R E N C. Um, so it's either um, yeah, it's mo- sometimes. Um, in America, people pronounce it Lorenz. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just painfully aware of that because I, I actually, um, I remember having a conversation with with um, Ben Clock of all people once about you, and I was talking about you, and he had no idea who I was talking about because I was <laughs> because because I was saying, yeah, Lawrence has done this, Lawrence has done this, done that, and um, he was just like, what are you saying? And then he's like, ah, Lawrence, or or, or or whatever the uh, the correct pronunciation is. Yeah, you you, you nailed it. Right, um, I, because I also exactly know how Ben pronounces my name, so it makes total right. sense. Okay, right. Just, I'm, I'm glad we've got that on the record mm. for the <laughs> for the avoidance of doubt. So, um, yeah, great to have you on the show, man. I basically want to talk initially um, about albums. You have a new album coming out mm-hmm. fairly soon. Mm-hmm. And and I just wanted to ask you a question off the bat, which was, I mean, in, in obviously this is in the context of you're about to release, you're about to release an album. But I mean, how do you feel about albums 
in 2022. How do you feel about the format in general? Uh, well, I think it still exists. For some reason, it still has uh, relevance, even for artists in other genres than we usually are uh, hanging out in. Um, like, for example, those huge um, hip-hop uh, rap, trap uh, records, like the big battle between the Kanye West Donda album and the Drake certified lover boy one, you know, like both being released kind of at the same time. Um, so, you know, you would think maybe the album format itself isn't that relevant anymore, but then again, you, you have those huge album drops and like whole campaigns behind them. Just, they look different. I think they have more tracks sometimes. Sometimes they have just five or six tracks um, sometimes the tracks are really long. Sometimes the tracks are just two minutes long, like the individual tracks. Um, sometimes they are still on vinyl and super collectively. And sometimes they just like artists drop out albums like weekly or like two or three within one month. Um, and just, you know, like gain awareness through that. And it's just digital um, or just streaming actually sometimes even. So what an album can be is very flexible these days, which I like. Um, it is not the same thing uh, as it used to be, let's say, in the 70s or in the 80s, where um, there was uh, one physical version of, of the album and everyone just got the record um, and later the CD as well, maybe. Um, so obviously everyone knows those days are over and um, that um, development has its pros and cons, but still... Um, I think it's still a relevant format, so I, I, I still like it and I still like to also use it as a vehicle to, to release what I, what I did creatively. Well, yeah, I mean, you are a prolific releaser of albums, really. Um, this, the one that's coming out imminently is called, it's called Taum. Yeah, I believe that's the right, <laughs> the right pronunciation. No, it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you, this is your, I believe this is your seventh album. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying. Correct. Correct. Going back to 2012, and it's this new one is coming on your your label, which is called Plangent. Um, yes. And we'll we'll talk about Plangent uh, later on. But cool. Just in the context of what you've just said about about albums in general, like how how is how do you see this new record? In, in those in those times so um obviously this is my pandemic album you know like it's it's just i it, it is that that's what it is it it, it contains uh, um vibes and emotions that i felt throughout the pandemic the track titles are references to my feelings and emotions throughout the pandemic it was made throughout the pandemic um i um kind of uh, digested some um, experiences uh, that I had within the pandemic in this album. And um, the track title uh, has a specific meaning uh, that I tied to the, to the events in the last one and a half, two years. Um, and uh, also the, the, the album artwork has a, a resemblance to my interpretation or to my experiences um, during that time. So, First of all, it's, it's sorry. What is what is what is that meaning? If I can delve deeply a bit yeah, into that, sure. Um, so I I start with the track title and then with the artwork. So um, the title is the as you pronounced it correctly, Taum. It's T A U M. <laughs> right. 
Uh, it's a word creation, basically. Um, I don't think that it really exists like that. Um, it's a mix between two German words and it is basically a mixture of uh, the German word Traum, which means dream, and uh, the German word of like um, uh, tumbling, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, like falling. Yeah, 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 kind of like like falling, and uh, it's it's a mix of that. It's like it's like um, taumeln is the German word for tumbling, and um, it's T A U M um, E L N. And uh, basically, that's how I felt at the beginning of the pandemic, especially. Uh, that's where I really was. Well, I would say scared, um, uncertain. Um, you know, uh, definitely in an alert kind of mind state. And I always felt like I was dreaming and I was hoping to wake up from this bad dream, you know, with those lockdowns and especially at the beginning yeah. where people were like hoarding toilet paper and shit. And <laughs> yeah. The toilet it's paper like, was like It seems ridiculous now, doesn't it? Absolutely. Kind of, yeah. There's, can I just ask though, um, so, I mean, I, I, I was going to specifically avoid talking about the pandemic, but since obviously it's like directly relevant here. So um, at the start of 2020, like wh what were you doing exactly? Were you, were you touring a lot? Were you, you know, how was your day to day that, that kind of collided with this thing that, you know, happened to all of us? Well, after a couple of years um, at that point, it was exactly eight years of legitimate touring, I would say, um, I felt like in 2019, I found a good balance of uh, touring as much as is needed to kind of be on the map, but still with, uh, as much as I am okay with in terms of uh, health and personal quality of life interpretation. So I felt actually really good. I was about to maybe like make a little break in March, take like four weeks off or something. Um I was touring at the time when the news started to to gather, you know, when China suddenly built a, a hospital within a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, that's not, that's that not a good still, sign, is it really? <laughs> that, that was not a good sign, but that was still, I think, in January and everyone was kind of not really paying a lot of attention to it um, because it's so far away and stuff, you know. But then in February... Italy got hit pretty bad and that's when Europe woke up as well and that was the I was still playing shows and that was the period where people started to wear masks in the airplane even though it wasn't mandatory yet um, you were seeing a lot of people disinfecting their hands more and more when you went to like a official meeting or something you know people were hesitant of shaking hands so that was like that that period where all that stuff wasn't still like mandatory or like kind of a habit was still like something that some people did and some people didn't and it was very new and as soon as it got more serious and my first shows were cancelled towards end of February early March um, that's when it really hit me and I was really really uncertain at that time most of my friends also colleagues and my my wife as well everyone was like okay um, don't worry so much it's gonna be it's going to be okay. Like it's, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be over at least 
like earliest in Easter, it's going to be fine. You'll be back on tour. You can do your job. I'm like, no, man, <laughs> this, this shit yeah. is different. This, this, that's some different type shit. Like I, I, I don't think I'll be back touring in, in, in Eastern at all. If I'm lucky, I'm going to play like one or two shows this year, maybe in the summertime, but, uh, you'll see that this is a different kind of beast right here. So yeah, that's what I was doing. And that's where I was like having the worst kind of experiences just for my personal mind state, um, point of right, view. Right. So, so you see, so, so you saw, yeah. you saw it early then basically. I didn't was... see anything. I just felt the weight of it somehow. Like, um, there were, there were things happening that for me, logically just said, okay, people are starting to hoard groceries. Um, yeah. People are buying 10 packs of toilet papers for no reason. Um, so there is something weird going on here and there's reasons for weird shit. And I was like, okay, this is not normal. This is very, very much out of the ordinary and this is going to have some ripple effects um, down the line. So I was just sure that this is a serious thing to happen. And, and, you know, like, and then I was thinking, okay, in that case, people talking about social distancing, isolation. Okay. We and our job is the last one that's going to be back to normal. The very, very last one in the chain. Yeah. As we have found, right? Yeah. Which is just something very obvious. Yeah, totally. I mean, from the politician's perspective, um, yeah. the, um, Exactly. Nefa nefarious goings on in nightclubs are not, you know, too high on the um, <laughs> priority list, are they? Right. Really, un unfortunately, right. for us. So, um, I mean, sorry that we are like drifting off into that whole pandemic. No, no, story, no, but no, it no. is part of of the, the the process of my album. So, if if I if I can go back to what I was trying to say about the album, so I was feeling constantly as if I would be in a bad dream, and I was tumbling from a better mind state to a worse mind state and back to a more stable one and back to a really unstable one. So I had to leave Berlin. I had to go to the countryside. I had to go out of the door and not seeing like lines in front of the supermarket with people wearing masks on because at that time, the only place where I saw masks was either in the surgery room or in Tokyo. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, like, exactly. So places, um, places that have had pandemics before, basically. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so uh, I went, I left Berlin for a good amount of time. I think the first time I came back to Berlin was like end of June after the pandemic happened. So that's good three months. And yeah, and then um, basically that's, that's, that's like the, the, the description of my, of the album title. It's a, it's a mix between dreaming and tumbling. Träumen und Taumeln. Traum und Taumel. Yeah, right. So it's called Taum, yeah. I mean, your music generally has a, has a dreamlike quality to it um all the way all the way back to your earlier stuff so um that i mean that that makes sense and also yeah i mean it's 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 something that that resonates with me i have to say that that those first two to three months were were pretty scary you know they really were i mean i don't yeah. remember a similar thing i mean i think at a, on a very very transient level like the the couple of days around 9/11 maybe had that kind of like atmosphere to them mm. but that 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 went away pretty quick but this was mm. definitely a case of like weeks and uh, and months where yeah there was this kind of like sort of slightly indefinable just sort of like cloud over over everything i certainly felt yeah, it felt exactly it too. 
So did it? So did it? um, So then, in terms of making them, when when did you when did you make the tunes? Was it? um, Did you have a did you have a workspace when you were when you moved out of out of the city, or or how did it come together? Mm, To be honest, at the beginning, I had a really hard time focusing on making music at first. Um, I throughout the year when things got a little bit more relaxed uh, towards early summer. I started working on some remixes. I started working on like some tracks for for like a, a little two-tracker digital EP that I did on Plangent. But the year was like also because of following up private, um, you know, ups and downs, um, a little bit hectic. And I had to make a couple of like really important decisions. And throughout the year, I didn't start yet with the album. I had like one track that I was thinking okay this could be actually maybe the first sketch of working into something more coherent like like an album maybe but i didn't start with focus focusly working on the album until i would say january this year actually 20 oh, right so it's um, okay right because, like I said, I had to get rid of some stuff. I had to make some important decisions. And after I did these, I, I, I had the, the freedom and the, the room for the thought process or the, the free-flowing creativity that I, you know, need to have in my way of working on music, which is very unplanned, very spontaneous, very pressureless, very um, instinctive um, and not planned out at all. I always need to have the free mind kind of to do that and it took a while to to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course it's totally subjective. Everyone is 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 different with these things. I mean, you know, for example, you know, just just with um I mean, a common one is like deadlines. You know, some 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 people react really well to having that having a hard thing to work towards and other people just find totally. that it yeah. it um, you know, adds adds to the pressure and is actually quite, you know, oppressive. Um so, so yeah, that's interesting that you, um, yeah, you need that kind of freedom, I guess. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to well, like, relate I mean, it deadlines, to, to... Sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. uh, deadlines are one thing, but pressure that you make yourself is another thing. Um, and that's more the kind of pressure that pressures me is the one that I make myself. Um, rather than having a, a, a deadline for, a, um, let's say, a, a scheduled mastering that I made. So I have to deliver the album to a mastering engineer because he needs to work on it. And because that kind of stuff sometimes help to just get shit done and being done with it and having like a final point. But pressuring yourself and, ah, oh, God damn it, I have to go to the studio. I have to make these tracks um, I yeah, have to it's, make it's, an it's album. A, it, it's a horrible feeling, I, isn't it? I can't, I can't handle. Because it shouldn't be like that, right? It should be mm-hmm. a, it should be a joy. And I've, I've definitely been in that position. And you, you end up feeling guilty for not enjoying the process. Yeah. Certainly, I certainly I do anyway. Like, because it yeah, should yeah, be, you know, we're we're all doing our well. We're all the, the people who are lucky enough. Certainly, you and me are you know lucky enough to to make music for a living. And you know, you should you know you should enjoy it it's 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 living it's well on paper it's living the dream and when and when you don't you know vibe with it for whatever reason it can be that can be a a um you know a, a negative cycle and it can become totally. some, you know self-reinforcing and it's a it's a horrible position to be in and i've certainly been in it been in it myself and i yeah yeah so yeah and i felt like that a little bit in the pandemic year of 2020 
And yeah, I didn't okay. want to force myself to anything, you know, because I, I had it in the back of my head. You know what? Like this shit is still going on. Like we're not touring. The world is still in a weird place. Why should I rush myself? Yeah, maybe it would be cool to have an album right now to, to have something that I can put out for people who want to listen to my music. But at the same time, I, I felt like um, forcing it has never been uh, the answer for me. So I just waited until, also, like I said, my the personal personal things that I had to take care of were finished and I felt better. And that was in January. And that's that's when I started to work on the album. And then did it did it come together quite quickly once you were feeling good about it? Or mm, Yeah, it was actually the usual process that I have with my albums. I very quickly draw down the, the sketches of the let's say 12 13 tracks that i will choose from um usually i'll choose from like you know like 13 14 tracks and i'll have like 10 11 on the album and uh the first creative process usually happens very 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 quick like in, in within like two weeks i have those basic foundations but that doesn't mean they are finished um the The process of mixing them down, arranging them properly, uh, listening to them on different systems like in the car, on the headphones, on the studio monitors, usually also in the club, which wasn't really possible, unfortunately. Um, that takes a so while, you know. So just to clarify for for the listener, um, you do everything on your music, like yes. engineer, mix, the whole thing. Just the just mastering you. I don't do. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think. Well, well, I mean, it's to be. I mean, to be honest, you can do mastering now. You know, with, you with could, the yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you could. There definitely was a point at which mastering was a kind of you know a dark art, and you know, um, you had to have like you know a hundred grand's worth of outboard in mm. a, in a room to, to do it. But things have changed a little bit since then. But That's I do true. think it's 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 valuable to have have a fresh set of ears on it at some point during the process. Mm -hmm. I think I think it it is. Um, As I said, yeah, it's, it's definitely beneficial. But also, actually, to be honest, if you're releasing on vinyl, then you kind of have to, you know, because unless you want to learn to work a work a lathe, which is <laughs> its own thing in itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so, right. Right. <laughs> is, I mean, is this, um, is this album coming out on vinyl as well? Yeah, um, it will, but um, the process takes longer than usually, I realized. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's, tell me about it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into that later because I want to talk about labels in a. It, in yeah, a, let, just let's in, say in, in let's say thing. it will come it, it will come out on vinyl, but it'll be a little bit later than the digital release date. Yeah. So how how does this record um, relate to your previous albums? Because I'm, I'm I've got I've got a list of them here, and the the, the first four came out in quick succession. So 2012 on Acid, 2013 Hinterland, 2014 Iffy, 2015 Placid. Um, that, was a, that was a great run. And then um, the, the, pre the, the previous two to this one, uh, Dama Licked on in 2018 and Dwell in uh, 2020. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's been extremely consistent. And what I find really intriguing about your music is is its consistency um you've got a really really recognizable sound like instantly recognizable sound and from from my perspective as a producer i'm completely different I, i'm all over the place like and i just do all kinds of different different stuff and i really i'm intrigued by by your approach so and, and particularly with albums right because an album album is its own thing and i think your album's 
all work together as a um you know each, each of them is is its own thing exactly but then there is like a like a really high degree of consistency between them um so how does this new one i mean i mean do you agree with that and also how does this new one fit into all of that uh in, into that sort of series if you want yeah first of all thank you for putting the thoughts into my um album discography i appreciate that and um yeah i mean it's sometimes it's it's a good and sometimes it's a bad thing the consistency also within the sound um obviously sometimes people might feel like like i sound the same all the time and um i remember my my review on ra for the dwell album in 2020 where it was not a bad review it was like a pretty fair review i think um but they mentioned like just you basically if you like it you like it <laughs> if not not so it's big news you know well i mean i i tend i tend to take omar s um and his comment about ra to heart which we will not repeat here but yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyways um it's just for me there is actually like i on the the upcoming album on town i i tried to i didn't even say i tried to i wanted to change it up a little bit you know, with losing, using way more like hip hop orientated, trip hop, maybe even trappy beats. But that is not something that I force in terms of like, let's try something different. It's just, I listen to a lot of like trap music, to be honest, especially the instrumentals. And I mean, I know you're, you're, you're a big just hip hop fan generally, aren't you? From, from many years ago. I've always been. Yeah. Yeah. Like since I was, um, a young teenager basically. And, um, that always was the music that I listened to most, to be honest. And uh, I just felt like doing something that reflects my type of vibe also within that type of beat. And I'm actually quite happy with the results. And um, But still, it, I think you're right. Still, it is recognizable that it's coming from me with the way the bass lines are arranged, the way the the atmospheres and the, the melodies are made and the, the soundscapes and also this this the the the, the minimalistic approach this how do you what's the scars no sparse 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 yeah the sparseness of it um is i think also a little bit of um, a signature um which sometimes some people like and some people just don't like it because it's just not enough happening for them but i think having those filters spilt in with me and in my brain that filters out things that the brain, my brain likes within music that I either receive or produce. Um, those filters make that, um, if you called it signature, um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, it's a, um, it's, it's a very recognizable, sound yeah, you, you know it's exactly. it's, 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 it's it absolutely its own thing and like it, no one else really sounds like it i would say it's probably it's the fact probably it's just that that i just don't like a lot of music so my filters are very <laughs> right. tight yeah. you know so it doesn't the filters don't let through a lot right so sure. okay <laughs> probably it. that's just the, the condensation process maybe if you will no i mean it's i mean the, the hip-hop thing is something that's um which you've you've experimented with this going back quite a long way though, right? You've mm-hmm. you've allowed some of those influences to come in before, but I mean, I certainly, I can certainly hear listening to the new record that you're 
you've opened the gate there. I mean, not not you know, not completely. It's not like Recondite does does drill yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. like you know. But it's but it's definitely recognizable. Absolutely, and even and I have to bring this up, of course. Even in 2011, when you have been such a big part of my early career and such a help, which I will always be grateful for, when you invited me to um, to Berkheim to this, to one of your substance events there that you did on Fridays, yeah, this was actually one that was done, I think, on a Saturday. Doesn't matter, anyways. You were doing both rooms. You did Panorama Bar and Berkheim. So yeah, it was it was one of the birthdays, wasn't it? Um, it was, right, it was, still, it was right. still on a Friday, but they they gave us both rooms. I, I was. I, do you remember what year? What year was it? it was 11. was it 2011? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would have been July I still 2011. Have to fly, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, was that, and, that, and that was when you. This was when you. This was your first ever live set, I believe. Is that is that correct? Uh, it's not. It's the first official one. Let's put it that way. I played it right, some okay, parties, okay, okay. Um, but this was the first one that was the on the The first time you were. The first time you were on a on a flyer yeah anyway yeah, like that yeah no i i mean i i'm we'll, we'll talk about life a bit later but I, but I remember that night like like it was yesterday because um, yeah, yeah. i remember i remember you um doing your sound check and just not being at all happy and going home and completely changing like the the, the way right. <laughs> oh, i don't know what you changed but like you, you you were like fuck this went home and did some changes and came back <laughs> and the um the show was was killer man everyone loved it like it was um, it was and awesome. Thank you. And, and what I was trying to say is that I also played some hip hop beats there. That was what I was trying to get to, you know, like, and because I thought, okay, this is a substance night. Um, I'm not going to just play techno, um, even though the lineup, especially at Panorama, was very flexible. I think it was Maya Jane Coles after me and Charles Peterson. Yeah, uh, wow, it was the Charles night. Yeah, I actually had. Um, <laughs> I I talked to Giles. Uh, re- I did an interview with Giles recently on 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 the BBC, and we were talking about that night. And he mm. had such a good time that night. He was he. That's the first, the only time he's ever played there, and he was just like <laughs> just in heaven playing that night. Yeah, it was a really yeah. good. There was a really good atmosphere generally. It was. And, it was at, on at that party. So yeah, I I I needed to play also some hip hop stuff, and I I remember how how much joy that was. You know, like to play there in general to be part of that you know scene and environment and so uh yeah it's it just i just wanted to mention that because it just added up nicely to because i remembered also playing some hip-hop tunes there that i made and which never came out actually those those beats um and uh and also i wanted to definitely also bring that that memorable night um up now in our conversation yeah, man, it was it it was highly memorable. So and so that was 2011, and then your first album came out in 2012, which was on acid test, uh, and it was called On Acid, right? Right. That was also like happening very um, uh, out of the blue and spontaneously. Oliver, who does absurd recordings and acid test, he lived at in LA at that time. Um, he contacted me and asked me if I would be up for doing like some acid type stuff, you know, that Donato Dossi was doing at the time because he had that EP on, on acid test. Oh yeah. Of which course I it really like, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I was like, yeah, that, that type of like rich sounding, but still minimalistically, um, formed, uh, acid is very 
you know, it sounds very deep, sounds very calm, but still very strong and has a, a melodic energy, but is not <clears throat> kitsch um, at all. Uh, I could really relate to that. So I was obviously in immediately and I was, I, I that album was also done very quick and I, I was so happy that he asked me. I mean, it really broke through, right? It was extremely successful, that album, and continues to be something that people go back to, I think. Um, yeah. I know, because I do. <laughs> you know, there's that, that the, the tie-in track is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great piece of work, man, and, and people are definitely, yeah, as I said, still still going back to it now, nearly 10 years later. Yeah, it's, I just yesterday received the, the, the wrap-up of Spotify, you know, or for Spotify, Spotify for artists. Um, yeah. It kind of shows you um, which tracks have been played the most, how many streams did you have and stuff. And yeah, like I was thinking like, man, it's those are really like the joyful moments when you see that that stuff is still being played by the people. You know, it's not it's not like not being played anymore just because it's like now basically 10 years old. It's, well, this is one of the this is one of the benefits of benefits of the. Uh, of the streaming model, the, the mm-hmm. much maligned streaming model. And um, yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder, yeah, what do, what do you think of streaming generally? Just just to go off on a little bit of a tangent for a moment. What, what yeah, do you think yeah. of the of That's that whole point. thing? Um, well, actually, I, I put in some thoughts actually today just randomly because of that wrap up. And I was thinking, so first of all, because you asked me, I, I think it's great. Um, I use it a lot. I use it for, I'm a big podcast listener. I, my wife sometimes is annoyed because I have a podcast running all the time, you know, like <laughs> right. it's crazy, yeah. like in the car, me too, actually. when I do, you know, like dishes, dishwashing, when I do workout, uh, whatever, even when I can't sleep, I put on a podcast, you know, but that's basically conditioned because you know, when I was a child and I couldn't sleep, my mom always put like those audiobook tapes in, you know, right. and I listened to them all over, all over, um, those old cassettes. Well, um, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't ever really connected it back to that because I was certainly the same. And it's definitely a, it's kind of a comforting thing, isn't it? Having, totally. uh, having something read to you. Yeah. That's also why I wanted to do a podcast on my own, like where hopefully you can be a guest sometimes, you know, at the Domino oh, I'm, pod I'm, with, with Obi. I'm 100% down for that. We'll we'll definitely get that done sometime soon. Yeah, but anyways, so I think streaming is something that I just use a lot, not just for podcasts, also for listening to music. And um, I I just, you know, it's just a different way of digesting or like consuming music. So yeah, so for the, I mean, I I agree. For for the consumer, like it's great and I completely concur. But what about for the, from an an artist's perspective and a label perspective? So I was I was looking at my streaming numbers and I don't want to twist this into a conversation of ah, I could I could make much more money like with the streaming. <laughs> um but what I would like to say is that if the distribution um system would be a little bit fairer and actually I can recommend you an a documentation on Arte you know, the French TV channel, A-R-T-E. Right. Um, that also exists in Germany. It's like a co-production between German and French TV channels. And it's a culture channel. Um, it's for mm. arts and pop culture, uh, 
music culture, TV, movie culture. And uh, there is one which handles that, tackles that topic. Like how much have, like how can smaller artists, I mean, with smaller, <laughs> I also include me now in this Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like basically um, people who aren't getting, you know, hundreds of millions of streams, right? Exactly. And I think that's basically exactly. everyone counts as yeah. smaller artists who are in, exactly. in that category. So basically what I was trying to say is that the way I understood it is that the people who have 100 millions of streams get a higher percentage, not just because they have more streams, but also of each individual single stream, they get a higher percentage of Yeah, this is, this, is the, this is the model, right? It's like, the, um, yeah. I, I, God, I haven't, I haven't prepared for this, but like, yeah, um, and, and there is the alternative, um, which... Which which treats each stream equally, essentially, right? Exactly. That, that's, but it's but it's not completely clear um, the, what the actual sort of the practical difference that that would make is my understanding of it. Which is also a problem that it's not completely clear. And what I was trying to get at is, especially now during a phase when which we had with the pandemic, or we still have now with lockdowns coming back, for example, in Germany and stuff at this point. Having a normal income, like a, a typical um, household pr type of income with making music and releasing it and building a community of people that listen to it and like it, even if it's a little bit more individual than, let's say, popular music um, or mainstream music even, would actually be possible, you know, like without touring. You you could, as a musician, you could make a normal living um, off of your streams if you have a steady release um, output if the if the distribution key would be a little bit more transparent and maybe a little bit more fair to quote unquote smaller artists um, so when you say when you say distribution you're talking about from the platform itself rather than through a distributor you know a traditional yeah, label distributor right yeah. yes yeah because the 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 distributors, that's why maybe that was a poor choice of words. Um, because sure, the distributors, yeah, I understand. yeah, the distributors are also just a, um, like a middleman, I would say, or middle person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're basically, well, it, in, in this era of, of just digital music, they're really just sort of like delivery vehicles, aren't they? I mean, I mean, it, the, yeah, there's, there's various different models of them. I and mean, certainly the, the, the distributor that we work with, uh, they actually make quite a big contribution to the label in terms of like the pitching of music to yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to streaming platforms and all that kind of all that kind of stuff um so they definitely still so, play a part but it's completely different to the traditional physical moving of yeah, goods yeah, yeah, yeah. into retailers you know which is yeah completely different thing. so back to your question what i do i think about streaming i think it's great and i think it's amazing that people are using it Artists are using it more and more to have a much more direct stream of output, you know. So people are making music, getting it ready, getting it mastered, putting it out. People already can listen to it, you know. So the direct line between the artist's creative impulse, the process of manufacturing and the output and the consumption moment of the listener is very tight and very short now. And that's a good thing because... So from can a, express themselves quicker, right? So, for, so okay. So, from a from a creative point of view, you're saying it's a, yeah, it's a positive thing. That's interesting for me personally. Yeah, I would. 
honestly, that's why I was so annoyed when I heard about the news that the pressing plans for the vinyl take so long these days. Right. Because um, it was kind of the only thing it did, because already now what I have to do is to delay the release process between the digital release and the physical release, because I would love to not do that. But well, I mean, I just would... to get, just to give you an example, I was I was reading about um, the the process of of, um, of pressing vinyl in the nineteen fifties today, mm-hmm. and the um, <laughs> if the you know, the process was you go into I mean radio stations were obviously double um, uh, were often doubling up as as recording studios, so you take your song into a radio station, cut the track, they'd cut the lacquer on the spot. And the finished copies will be there the next week, <laughs> so so, you, so you'd have so you'd have records in the shops potentially three weeks after you know cutting cutting the cutting the song you know and then potentially like you know within a month you could have a number one single like you know, how, how crazy is that? What do you think? Why does it take so long these days? What what is the reasons? I, it's it's capacity basically. So there's mm. obviously way fewer pressing plants surviving mm. because of because of the fact that you know the um, the demand has gone down over time. You know, probably since the 1980s, it's probably been been contracting. Mm. Maybe even since the 70s. And you know, we hear all this stuff about the vinyl resurgence, but you know, the um, for you know dance music for 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 dj vinyl you know for mm-hmm. dj vinyl releases like that that demand is still contracting so the so the the um the vinyl resurgence as it were is dominated by you know taylor swift albums getting mm-hmm. getting pressed on vinyl mm-hmm. and maybe like reissues mm-hmm. of of like led zeppelin or whatever so this yeah. is so these are major labels big companies um putting their orders in and you know if plangent records wants to press um, yeah, the new Recondite album and I don't know who Taylor Swift is signed to but whoever does is doing hers wants to get and I'm pretty sure she's going to get unfortunately for you mate ahead yeah, of you yeah, in, yeah. The, in, in, the, yeah. in the queue you know so of course, yeah. so so yeah so it's a case of it's a question of capacity I think more than mm, anything makes else sense. You know, and um, I don't know what it's like with CDs actually, because there must have been there must be some similar reduction in Definitely. in the capacity of of CD reproduction, right? But I mean, there hasn't been a well. Actually, to be honest, I was reading the other day that there has actually been a um, a bit of a resurgence in in demand for CDs. I guess on a kind of kitschy level, you know, in a similar way to how cassettes have now got this kind of niche um, position. In yeah. the market, have you have you ever done a CD, a um, a, a cassette on Plangent? No, no, I haven't. I haven't done a cassette. I yeah, I mean that's a it, it's it's definitely kind of like hipster level ten to <laughs> to, well, to do I that. I mean, it's it's cool, you know. Like I I don't hate it at all. I used to love cassettes as a as a child, but honestly, like if I I could avoid it, like I would. Because it's right. just too <laughs> well, much. Yeah, um, it's honestly, it's just too much plastic waste. How about CDs? Have you done, have you done a CD on Plangent? I've I've done a CD on Plangent. The Demelicht album had a CD, yep. um, which was more like a promotional CD. It has like this little, you know, sleeve, kind of like a record sleeve. Yeah, like could, a paper paper sleeve. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a CD for. The Plangent compilation that you were on, actually. Um, yeah. The first Plangent compilation. But that's it. And it it never really, like, was, like, super popular, the CDs. Um, well, there was a point at which it really stopped being popular. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. My, 
It's gone. In 2020, when I had the Dwell album on Ghostly, they made CDs for that album for only one particular market, and that was Japan. And, yeah, yeah. And, and they had like, uh, <laughs> someone sent me a picture of like, a, um, how do you call those uh, cardboard like things that you have in stores that you stand up like when you there's a new movie coming oh, out well, like a, like a like a uh, right yeah like a, i don't know i don't god I'm, I'm blanking on the name too but yeah i know what you mean a big cardboard cutout of was it a cardboard cutout of you really yeah, yeah, yeah basically of the album not of my face or right, something, right. but, <laughs> <laughs> but of the album and like all those cds were in there so it was like a photo from the 90s you know awesome. coming up <laughs> but yeah they, they particularly because the demand of cds was there of that japanese the japanese and the japanese market is 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 very particular in itself mm. yeah and um uh to my it was very late in getting going with the streaming thing and i'm 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 fairly sure um again i, I might i might be wrong about this but they're still very behind in the, in the uptake of streaming and mm -hmm. and and physical product remains relatively popular certainly compared to you know europe and, and the states um but it's a huge it's a huge music market and and you know the, the whole kind of like you know cliche of being big in japan and what have you you know like it's um you know it's they're a huge like you know music consuming population you know it's it's, mm. it's it's mad and and in a very particular way absolutely yeah. anyway I, i wanted to um seeing as we've we've been talking about plangent let's yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about the label and and how it started so yeah. th th this was your the, the initial home for your music right your your first releases were were on the on the label is that correct that's correct yeah plangent uh number one was basically the first batch was just 50 records it came out in 2010 and uh, in 2011, I, re i remember i re i remember receiving one actually yeah now, actually now, now that it, i think about it actually the, the the first 50 are numbered so you you should have a numbered copy like i did like the the one of 50 two of 50 thing um and then i made another 300 in 2011 and uh basically made a repress and then I already followed up with Plangent 2 and 3 and 4 and those were my four uh, first four records but then already like quite soon I had my first EP also on Hot Flush right like um, the yeah, DRGN I'm, one yeah I was trying to figure out the um, like the the running order you know because I think that was I think that was after On Acid or maybe it wasn't I I, th I seem to think that it was because I, th I think not, it was not far away. Like it was around the same time. But I, your first appearance on on Hot Flush was actually your remixes of the Hope. You did two remixes okay. of yeah, the Hope, yeah. and they came right. out on on their own twelve, uh, which would have been in 2012 because that's when it was a yeah. personality album. And that's when I that think DRGN was also um, 2012, and DRGN was was a massive tune man i mean it was a really big thing for us on the label and i guess it was a big thing for, for you too in your definitely in your career, and right? it, it was my first proper club record so it was a very important record for me to be on the map in terms of touring and actually getting into a position where i can live off of touring basically because that's, i remember yeah that's what it I, is like we have to tour in order to make money to make a living 
Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. In in the absence of um, those those, those uh, better streaming deals. But what I was going to yeah. say was, um, I remember going into you know, a meeting at Berghain around then and them saying that the RGN was the, it was one of the only tunes that year that was played upstairs and downstairs all the time, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. I, I still remember the text message you sent me when you played it the first time at Panorama Bar. I, I really it, yeah, yeah, and it was, you, you, you were just saying that it went off and stuff and it was was really like working very very well and i was so happy when you sent me that text because yeah, well, we I shouldn't mean, forget at that time we still worked out together and my job was still being a personal trainer you know like well that's a that's a story <laughs> i mean do, do you want to tell that story <laughs> yeah i mean please do man i, I think please a do. lot of people anyways who know us you know maybe know also that story but in the end of you know it's 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 told quickly you know it's um I, my original occupation is uh, physio or physical therapy. I'm a physical therapist and I worked in that field for, yeah, I would say like five, six years until I decided to move more into like personal training type things because I always have been very active in terms of doing sports myself. And I have been very interested in like also team sports and following team sports and Germany, especially like football and stuff. And also personally basketball a lot, and then I was working also in a in a in a uh, at a football team in Munich, and I was really getting interested more into the athletic part of this job. And I when I moved to Berlin, which al already was connected to music, obviously because I did music on the side at that time all the time. I had a studio in Bavaria, and I also had DJ gigs, like really random ones though. But when I moved to Berlin, I got this job in this fairly big, let's say, gym fitness studio branch, and. I was working as a personal trainer there and I, I, I at some point I, I remember I saw, I don't even know if you know this, Paul, <laughs> that's, that's actually too funny. Um, I, and I realized, okay, like I've been there like half a year, 45, well, like, um, like uh, six, seven, eight months. And I realized, okay, there are actually some people here working out regularly who, are, who I know kind of from like nightlife, like I think even a couple of DJs and stuff. And I I knew a couple of faces from, from the scene and I was going to Berghain sometimes and I was listening to DJs there. And I, I had like every one of those employees there and including me, we had like a schedule, like an Excel sheet, like on the computer that everyone used at, at work. And I... I saw the name Paul Rose on my colleague's itinerary. I was like, right. I know this guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I know this guy. And I was like, I actually, it would be interesting to get to know him and to talk. And it was very common for us to swap clients because they just randomly kind of dropped in and um, was just put to, to like the person who had like shift and was working at that day. So I was asking my colleague, so... Um, I think I know that guy that is scheduled for you. Um, I think he's from the electronic music scene. Um, can we like swap clients and um, you have one of mine and I do this. Yeah, And the colleague was like, yeah, whatever, no problem. So next day, actually, that's that's how we met. So I kind of manipulated wow. the whole thing. <laughs> wow, I didn't know this. <laughs> the master manipulator, jeez. <laughs> I got played hard. Oh, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, what, but I was trying to remember what year was that because it was it was it must have been because it was quite it was a while before that could that could have been two thousand nine. Yeah, that sounds about right because we were definitely doing substance because I, I remember you saying that you'd um, either been to a substance night or you'd seen or you or you were interested in going up or, or some shit like that. I can't remember. Yeah, but I have to say when you said. I make tunes. My heart absolutely sank. I was like, "Oh no, I'm going to have to listen to this guy's tunes, and they're going to be terrible." Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Of course, you did. That's that's more than natural. That's that's why I that's why that I just you know I didn't do that. It took a while until I gave you an actual CD. You know, like right. um, it it actually it was still actually a CD, which is kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, very, it was yeah. not a USB stick. Um, and well, I was I was pleasantly surprised, man. Is all I can say when I stuck that CD on. Yeah, which you know, um, which I appreciated and also um, realized because you you just you you also helped me uh, a lot there with like tips for setting up the label because what I was trying to signal to you is that I'm not asking you to release this or I'm not asking you to sign this or anything. What I wanted to know from you at that point is like, if I have a question in terms of like setting up a label, if if you can recommend me a distributor or something, that's the only thing I would yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember those conversations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, to be to be fair, it was it was completely different music than what we were doing on Hot Flush at exactly, that time. Yeah, like yeah. we were we were very much deep in that whole dubstep thing. Yeah. Um, and the kind of post dubstep sound, and and you were really influenced by, if I recall correctly, Dial Records. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that was I remember you mentioning that, and that was that was your like I guess main point of reference. It's probably fair to say. I think would you would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so yeah. I mean, it, I, I yeah, obviously clock that it wasn't a direct kind of <laughs> pitch, as it were. Uh, yeah, and then and then we um. Yeah, and then we hooked you up with um, with Clone, right? With right. Surge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you hooked me up and, with and it Clone, all, and yeah. it all went from there. The rest was history. And also, I think was it precise? Mastering? Oh yeah, Sam, Sam precise yeah. mastering. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't spoken to Sam, Sam for a while, but um, yeah, he did, he did, it, he mastered all of my early stuff as well. Yeah, right up to. And it's, um, it's, up to it's just, you know, now when we talk about like, of course, like some memories come up and I, 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 I have to say that I remember that, I mean, we worked out a lot together and we had conversations about whatever, a million and one things. And we talked we a lot about a, football. I, I was about remember. to say that exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still an Arsenal fan? Man, you can't change, you know, as well as I do that you can't change teams. Of course, yeah, I'm an Arsenal yeah. fan. Yeah, makes things, sense. Things are, things are, actually things are looking up, looking a little bit better than yeah. they were for a yeah. while. But, and, and you, of course, um, well, are a Bayern fan. Well, that, that changed a little bit, to be honest. I really oh, come distanced on. myself a little bit from Bayern. I, I'm not actually f- really following one team uh, at the moment in terms of football, I have to say that. Um, wow, this is, her- this is heresy. Jeez. Yeah, but I have to also say that I really... <laughs> got back into basketball a lot everyone who listens to my podcast knows that as well because i remember just... you saying this yeah so you basically so do you have an nba team that, that you follow although american sports aren't really like that so much are they you can which, there is which a bit is a thing that a... i really like about it to be honest right because it changes so much i think you rather like certain players than teams also 
Um, so yep. you follow more like individual players and sometimes also teams when you have like an, a little like uh, history with team or something. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, I, I don't, there are also like some factors that I just didn't appreciate like for FC Bayern Munich, like obviously they have been super successful in terms of like winning Champions League and um, German championships and stuff, but I, was like, I mean, you 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 were pretty into it, man. I remember you absolutely hating Dortmund. Like, <laughs> <so that could've... laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we 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 could go in deep into like football psychology now. Um, <laughs> let's, let's let's probably not go too deep into that. But like, <laughs> yeah, what I was trying to say is that I like Jurgen Klopp a lot more now than I used to like him when he was still at Dortmund. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because that, that I sense. I just couldn't handle this. I mean, of course, they had talented players and stuff, you know. But it was all the motivation that he did, you know. He, he when you, when you, I remember you, I remember you sort of comparing it to like a kind of fanatical cult. I, that's what I remember man. about your <laughs> criticism of Dortmund at, at that time. That's so funny. Like, yeah, but that's how I felt, you know. Like it was like this religion. He was like the priest, and they were following him. And I'm I mean, always. It's, it's pretty similar uh, at Liverpool now, to be honest. I think that's just basically how he how he does it. And then in fairness to him, he's pretty successful. Yeah, that's true. But um, you know what I like when I when it comes to sports, um, and and also to like irrational sympathy for a sports team or a, a, a sports person, um, is I have the the tendencies to like the people that are you know more quiet, but they are just convincing with their actions and things they do on the pitch or on the court or however wherever you they perform and i don't like the outgoing type so much i don't like the crying and and shouting and yelling and celebrating too much type of athlete you know like is that is that something that you also feel about musicians um that's something that i feel about everything in life that's why right. my artist name is Recondite, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Because okay. it's something, I like things that are held back a little bit, that are a little bit more quiet, a little bit more obscure, a little bit more in the in the hidden area of things, a little bit um, tamed down, but still maybe strong, maybe mysterious. You, you don't know, you never know, but they are a little bit more, let's say, deep than the outgoing type. Of course, the outgoing type can be deep, but in my opinion, it's well, it's well, it's just a subjective thing, you know. Like it's just what I feel. It's no objective. Oh um, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm just. It's, it's interesting because, yeah, um, it's. I guess, I guess it's all reflected in the music. And I was, I was just thinking about, you know, the the sort of juxtaposition between your records and the way you play live. Because what's the other thing about your your career that's really intrigued me is is the way that you've been able to um, release this super deep music, most of which is fairly sort of introspective and and kind of eyes down, as it were. But but when you when you play live, it's like you know, people really really respond in a dance floor level to your sets, and that, and that's that was definitely true ever since that first night at Burkhan. And I remember you know I've seen you play countless times. Um, there was one that I remember in particular. Um, there's a club in Munich, and I'm blanking on the name now, but we did a hot flush. It was Bob Beeman. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah. I remember your set at Bob Beeman, and mm-hmm. 
it was um, like the, the opening, I just remember standing there for the first 20 minutes or so, and it was super minimal what you were playing. It was really, mm-hmm. really like, you know, stripped back. But, but you know, then that, it, was actually, it was actually quite similar to my first ever experience at, at Panorama, going to Panorama as a you know, as, as, a, as a punter and walking in and, mm-hmm. and it was 2007. So the, the, the minimal thing was, was, was still happening. Um, and just the reaction that people had to some little, some little hi-hat coming in. And it was exactly the mm-hmm. same thing a couple of years later, well, well three or four years later in uh, your set, I'm uh, doing your set at, at Paul Beeman. I just remember this, this smallest thing coming in and the place just erupted, man. I was like, wow. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! Like fair, yeah, yeah, fair, yeah. fair enough, man. If you're, if you're, it's 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 a very subtle skill to be able to pull that off, man. It really, it really is. I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's certainly beyond my capabilities. But but how do you? I mean, do you think that's also a kind of reflection of of um, you know, wanting to be, I guess, reserved is 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 the way I would put it in in terms of your personality, but but expressing that in in a way which still kind of connects with people in a in a profound way. Probably. It's it's maybe also part of my upbringing, part of my personality, part of the area where I grew up, where that type of mindset is also quite, quite around, I would say. Um, I don't know, like it's, it's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it really like um, spans throughout my whole life that things that pop into my eye are basically things that are being forced to be popping into my eye those are the things that i turn away from the earliest you know um because the the obvious things you mean yeah but also the things that are forced into my eye right you know for example i don't like things you know like that's also you know we, we could like do that transition into social media with this right now you know like what what is the most popular on on social media it's the stuff that pops you know and it's the stuff that is everything is designed in order to reach people in order to gain awareness or to uh to 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 kind of you know um, engagement right that's that's yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah. the buzzword and visibility you know like i that's why sometimes i struggle with social media to be honest because visibility is not what i is not my main goal you know like it's uh, really interesting you you i mean i had this on my list of things to talk about actually because you're um, your Instagram is is not a musician's Instagram. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's um, it's a very uh, in some ways, it's a it's quite a, an accurate sort of visual representation of your music, I think. But it's in a very unconventional way in terms of the way people tend to use, you know, that that platform in particular. But actually, it's it's successful. You know, people people do well, engage with your Instagram. Well, I I do feel that. There is a certain amount of people that absolutely connect to what I do there. And especially in the stories, I would say that in the stories, I am a more traditional music type of Instagram user because I post about my shows. I post about releases. I add like a piece of music to a, a picture that I put a post in a story. But what, what I like about the stories is that they go away, you know, and right. they don't have... A like count or some shit like that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Sure. Um, so I feel free to do that. But as soon as, you know, now it's luckily we have the, the, the possibility to hide likes and comments in the, in, the, in, the, in the posts, which is an amazing 
Um, it was nice of them to do that. It was definitely uh, unexpected. It's a, a, r- a yeah. rare case of Facebook doing something nice for people. It's a development of freedom of posts because you right. are actually thinking about the content of your post unbiasedly because you don't think about, I mean, if you decide to deactivate comments and likes, you start not thinking about the fact if somebody will hit the like button or not. Yeah, right. so That's why I like that. Um, but in general, I do feel that I'm kind of cheating the system, you know, because uh, this is not <laughs> I mean, how this be, platform is supposed to work. Right. I mean, to be, to be honest, I mean, it's interesting that you say cheating the system because in many ways, I think the way you've gone about your car- whole career in, in some respects is, is, is cheating the system, it's, you know, you've done, yeah, yeah, you've just yeah, not, yeah, not, not engaged with many of the things that... Um, you know, the kind of, you know, what, what might be in the kind of artist handbook or whatever, you know, what to do with your music career in the, in the 2010s or whatever, into the 2020s. Now you just haven't done, you know, and it has obviously hasn't hurt you at all. You know, in fact, you know, it's probably part of why people like you actually is the fact that you don't do all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just something that shows that if you don't fit in, you can still do your thing, you know, on many levels. Like uh, it could be um, everything. It could be your religion. It could be your orientation, whatever. You know, you can do what you can do. Like if you have a strong feeling about something and if you have, if you have an opinion, even if it's something that you don't even verbalize or articulate, but you are expressing it in our situation um, or in our field, also, for example, with music, you're expressing it with creativity. You can have a voice through that. And even if you are not doing the conformist way in doing it, you can still express it. And the people will either like it or not. And if people can relate, it's going to work somehow. And I think overall that also ties a little bit back to the streaming question we had earlier. Um, and it also ties a little bit back to social media. That fact that I just explained and feel is actually the most beneficial effect of all the new type of medias we have, like the social media or the streaming media. You know, the the way of expressing yourself as somebody who is creative, we are also talking about like the point of view of of a creator right now. For the consumer, it's also a different thing maybe, but as a creator, you have the possibility of having a lot of freedom and a lot of ways to express yourself. Um, even, even, and you see, like, and that's what you were saying. Even if you are not the type of person that actually goes always by the rule book of being an artist, of being a musician, sometimes even just because you're not following it, can still be a vehicle to to um, maybe even be as lucky and make a living with your creativity. So I'm I'm actually grateful for that, and I, I never would want to be looked at a person who hates social media, who hates streaming, you know. Who, who really wants to hold on the old fashioned type things, you know, because it has, everything has pros and cons. And, and I would be a hypocrite if I would say that I hate those things because they helped me a lot to do what I do. Yeah. I mean, all, all of that totally makes sense. I mean, I think there are like with, with any new development, there's going to be, there's going to be pros and cons to it. And I think, you know, from on, a, on, a, on a personal level, like social media is, is a lot more problematic just generally than, um, the developments that we've seen in the way people consume music, which I think are, I mean, certainly not without their 
issues. That's true. Um, but I think I mean, when you compare... Yeah, sorry, go right. No, 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 you go on. I, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, what I was going to say was um, when you compare like the current system of music consumption, um, which is you know, dominated by streaming, but also there are tools for artists such as you know, Bandcamp and, you know, increasingly the potential that's being offered by Web3 stuff and like, which is obviously, a, a, you know, a very new area and, and fast developing, but has, you know, a lot of potential um, across many fields, not just the whole, you know, NFT cash grab thing. I don't just mean that. I mean, you know, there are various technologies which are gradually coming out of that, which I think could be really interesting. But when you compare all that to CDs and that model, which in my opinion was you know, well, certainly for the consumer, it was fucking just appalling, really. I mean, I remember being a kid and paying, you know, 15 quid for a CD in, in sort of 1993 or whatever, which in today's money is obviously some astronomical sum. And, you know, in actual fact, if, um, you know, if, 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 if streaming services were priced fairly, like if you if you if a monthly Spotify subscription was the same cost of a CD in 1993, which is I'm going to plug a figure out of the air here, maybe just just let's just say it's doubled. Mm-hmm. Um, the the effect that that would have on payouts for artists would be you know game changing for yep. for everyone, you know absolutely. So really the really the, the the problem with this streaming model is that you've got these companies which are loss making, like Spotify loses money every year. It, 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 relies upon um outside investment um which is essentially speculative in in order to just like main gain and maintain market share in in you know a pretty similar way to how you know uber you, you know rolls out its service in different cities so so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's using investment to you know to to run at a loss and essentially offer offer the the, the product at an um, unrealistically low price, you know, and and ultimately, mm-hmm. that is what people. I think when people complain about streaming, that's what they're complaining about, you know. Yeah. Um, but but it's but yeah, it's yeah. not but it's not at all clear You're if right. um it's not at all clear if if the consumer could could bear thirty euros a month subscription, you know, because you know the thing about Spotify is that it was a uh, you know it's ultimately a a reaction to to nat to what was Napster, you know, to to piracy, mm. and and there is a yeah. there is a there is a price point at which piracy becomes a thing again, you know. So it's a, there are mm. no there are no easy answers here to, to yeah, any and, of this and, stuff. Yeah, but we could also say that um, we are at, actually getting closer to a pretty good system. I mean, as I said, I, I think it's an improvement for sure. Yeah, since the, yeah. from from the nineties model, absolutely, um, and I think what will be really interesting is um is how all this web3 stuff shakes out you know because i think there are yeah i'm not many... too familiar with all these well it's impossible to keep, it's, going it's, on right it's now. impossible to keep up with it it's it's you know it's it's well i mean um you know just in terms of it's impossible to keep up with the price of coins let alone the developments in you know defi <laughs> yeah. and and all, and all of that stuff you know so but yeah. but it's definitely a a point um, well, it's, it's an area which will continue to develop and, and some, you know, some, it will resolve in some way, you know, it will resolve in some yeah. direction, you know, and it'll be really, really interesting to see how that does resolve. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk about a bit more about touring 
Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk, well, I wanted to talk about two aspects of it, really. I wanted to talk about like how it, you know, just your live setup and, and, and shows and memorable shows. But also I wanted to talk about the way, which you alluded to at the very top, the way you deal with the lifestyle of touring. So let's mm-hmm. just, let's, mm-hmm. let's start with um, the, 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 the former. So tell me about your, exp- like your experiences as a touring, touring artist a little bit. <laughs> I have a I have a love and hate relationship to touring. I'll be uh, very honest about that. Um, it can be absolutely the best job ever, and it can be horrible. Um, at least in my uh, impressions and in my experiences, and that comes from the fact that you are always set uh, out to uh, having. O- like the most variables that you could ever imagine having, you know, like you are, you leave your house on a Friday and you think that the itinerary is set and you think that the airport pickup is scheduled and you think that your playtime is fixed. And a lot of times it also happens as it is in the itinerary, but always there can be some variables and you never know what's going to happen and you never know where you're going to end up. You never know how your hotel room is going to be. You never know really how the club night is going to be, how the people will be, how the country will be, how your travel experience will be. um, It can be everything from uh, absolutely amazing until to being in a world of shit and being super scared about anything and having like a a low-key depression going on. At least for me, like uh, it's it's just it's just sometimes it's just very um, it's it's demanding and it's challenging and therefore I personally have to find um, a balance for that and that balance for me comes in terms of I I can't handle a, a continuous lack of sleep for example which is a big part of that's a, that's, life. A, that's a problem with touring <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, and I I I I have those, you know, like I am I can gladly say that I'm not generally depressed as a person, you know, like yeah, I I can gladly say that I'm not, I don't have this disease that you know can be very very painful, but I do feel it in low dosages at times for sure. Yep, and it gets much worse when I have lack of sleep for sure. Right. And okay. that's, um, that's why, and that's why I have to, um, first of all, I've not, I have to, I want to take care of that. So that already doesn't make touring easier when you have to, when you make the decision that you talk to your agent and you say, okay, so please take care of the fact that even though, you know, we can be happy that we, can play shows and we can be on the road even now you know when there was like this window of being able to tour kind of like this 2021 summer and fall after the restrictions came down in a lot of countries of course everyone was happy to be able to tour again but for me still it was like i was talking to my agent please let's keep the old rule that we had uh where we were trying to make sure that i have at least six to seven hours of sleep between each and every gig that I play. Um, you mean so no early flights and, and that and that kind of stuff? If it's an earlier flight, it's also the day before an early show, you know? Right. So yep. basically just I have to make sure that I will be able to exclude the time where I go from the club venue to the hotel room and exclude the time where I go from the hotel to the airport. I will have six, seven hours in the bed 
Yeah. You know, so th those are things that I have to do. And then, you know, suddenly the whole thing gets much, much better and much, much better. And I enjoy it and I like it and I perform well and I actually like my life and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, sure. That's interesting. And um, we'll come back to that. But I, I want to just go a little bit into the, the the technical side of stuff like you um you've always played live i'm fairly sure that's 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 true like certainly since the the record Mo project has i been. would say yeah mostly yeah and i did some back-to-back -back dj things but that was you know with marcus wargo which was a, like a side project but it was like before the pandemic and it was after yep. the pandemic we didn't pick it back up because you need some practice and stuff and yeah we didn't do it yet who knows maybe in the future but i wouldn't describe me as a dj Let's put it that and way. And you travel with the tour manager? I did. I did not travel with the tour manager recently. No, I, oh, really? I did okay, have one when I did mm, like long tours and overseas tours, and um, especially like in month where I knew, okay, this is just the the high, let's say, season, and I know that I would play a lot of shows, and it will be good to improve the level of well-being the level of quality of shows and just the overall touring experience if somebody comes with me that helps me but i didn't have a tour manager recently no and um and then what's your what's your setup on stage actually i just looked up before we called i looked up a tech video on on youtube to even simplify my setup more <laughs> <laughs> right okay <laughs> um because at the moment I travel with a universal audio sound card um, and uh, Apollo Twin, uh, which is very reliable and I use it even in the studio and I use it everywhere. Yeah, I and mean, I travel. universal audio stuff is great. I'm literally looking at an Apollo X8 as we speak and um, it's recording this conversation. And um, yeah, they're just brilliant manufacturers of kit for sure. And so reliable and the quality is so good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely happy with that. Mm, I have two MIDI controllers and a Kai and uh, like a controller that has a couple of knobs and a couple of pads like like the MPC would have. And I have a, a Allen Heath K2 controller, which is a basic MIDI controller with four faders, a couple of buttons to control Ableton with, and a couple of knobs to use effects. And I have a couple of um, knobs assigned to like my drum rack where I do like some pitching of snares or claps. Um, I use most of those knobs for, for drum racks that I use to add stuff into my tracks that I play. Sometimes, you know, like to to get some more percussive sounds. But that's about it. You know, like that's, that's the setup. I have, uh, I think I have like 10, 11 tracks running in Ableton. I have like four where I have my, my wave files some are full bounced wave files of my tracks. Some are separated ones with like singular uh, bass lines or just melodies. I have uh, two tracks with sample stuff that mostly is field recording stuff, but also sometimes like some movie voice stuff like that I very, very subtle, subtly like add uh, uh, sometimes when I feel like it. Um, so is your is your show largely improvised? Uh, yes, in terms of when you when you mean improvised, in terms of like 
a, a track order or a, a, yeah, a yeah. I mean, I, dramaturgic I mean, approach in terms of like, will I play harder tonight? Will I play slower? Will I play my more melodic, melodic stuff? Will I play more my techno stuff? In terms of that, it's very improvised, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, there's obviously with, with, with DJing, you, you, when you play a lot of shows, you you know, you, you, you have mixes that you go back to and whatever. And I'm, I'm, I imagine it's, it's similar to that. So you figure out yeah, things of that course, work. And, of course. And how, I mean, how has that setup changed over time? Has it been pretty consistent or have there been? Uh, it has been, it has been very consistent. I have been experimenting with hardware in my early, early stages of my career, but I realized it just took away my attention of Right. Yeah. Off of the things that I thought were relevant, you know, which again is completely subjective. I mean, do but you do you um do you rehearse between between shows? No. Much? Right. No. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting no. as well. Yeah. Um, did, I, I, presumably, you did when you were first starting more than you do now. Is that, is that fair, or was that true? Um, did you did you ever did you just did you just roll less, up and just like less traditional? <laughs> I would okay. yeah, I would say less traditional rehearsing than right. working. I mean, that kind of jack kind of jamming and go around on stuff. I guess is what I mean. Yeah, less less that less of that than working on the individual parts that I use. Right. Yeah. So I more like when I spend work on my life set, I I spend work on the stuff that I use, the tracks that I use, the stuff that I put on those tracks. Um, rather than practicing the mixing and practicing the the way how I uh, uh, bring in that snare or something, you know. Um, yeah, no, this is really interesting because I mean, I've I've got a um, the next person who I'm who I have on the show um, does a you know is a similar um, makes sort of similar kind of music, but but the live show is is much more. Well, there's there's, there's a couple of people on stage and they're you know they're basically playing it as songs you know so they are rehearsing they're going and mm -hmm. doing a formal but there's a million ways of doing it that's what's the, the great thing about this kind of music because yeah. there, there are so many ways of of, of expressing it in, in a the end setting. in the end if you want to have like a very short description um, of how i would see my life act i would see my life act as a hybrid between someone who really does everything live live and the dj but the thing is i do that only with my own productions Because a yep. lot of hybrid acts also use productions of other people. So they actually fuse in being a DJ and a live act at the same time. But um, what I do is from the technical side, you sometimes could call me hybrid, but from the artist type of side in terms of selection of works, I use only my own stuff. So in that sense, I would call me a live act. Yeah. Yeah, which makes enough. it very easy for me to be honest, and I like to have it easy on a In stage. All, yeah, well, to be honest, um, I've 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 watched your uh, touring from afar and, and been a little bit jealous, to be honest, about, about how how you've set it up and uh, how easy you do make it for yourself. But 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 you know, maintaining like a like a really high level of performance, as I as I you know as I was saying before, I think your your live set is extremely effective, you know, and just in in what it what it sets out to do and how it how it delivers. It's just yeah, it's um. It's just I personally I'm the type of person I cannot deliver under stress. Really? Um, okay, that's that's interesting. Okay, I I deliver best when I'm at ease, right? And I I know 
you know, when you watch a Michael Jordan documentary, you know? Yep, And I know the one please, you mean. You know what I mean? You mean the, uh, I mean the... Um, the last dance, The last right? dance, yeah, exactly. And please don't get it wrong. I'm not comparing myself to freaking Michael <laughs> Jordan, okay? That's going to be the title of the podcast. <laughs> let's let's not go down that road. The, the, Michael, um, the Michael Jordan of techno. Oh. <laughs> my god <laughs> sounds ridiculous um so but what i was trying to say is that he shows how at ease he is when he does those crazy basketball moves you know right. like it's called being effortless yeah you know? it's just it's total relaxation basically it's flow like. and it's and flow is always connected with no stuttering You know, like, yep. no, it's, it's just, you know exactly what I mean, right? No, no hesitation, basically. It's yeah. just, it just happens. And it's, it's at a, at a, as, as a, a peaceful state of mind that gives the right um, foundation in order to perform. And this is just my strategy to perform well. You know, I try to make it as easy as possible for myself. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, I works. guess I'm, I'm sort of similar, I guess, in the sense that, um, I've always tried to keep my my like my DJing set up as 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 easy as possible and 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 also there's a direct I mean equivalent with with the finding it difficult to deliver under pressure and to be honest my my way of 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 dealing with pressure is just to, to convince myself that nothing none of it matters so so I have a kind of mm. I have a mental <clears throat> yeah. process that I go yeah. through Where I just tell myself that even if you fuck up, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It like you just doesn't just don't care about this. Which is also there. true. Well, well, it, well. Sometimes it's not true, but, but, but most of the times it is. In the end, you, you but, can always convince yourself. Oh, absolutely. So, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly. Yeah, but so there is always a little bit that, part of it true. Right. You know. No, um, yeah, absolutely. Of course, it's anyway, not. It, so, it doesn't um, completely not matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there are. There are there can be consequences <laughs> to those things. Yeah. But I wanted to go back. Um, I'm, I'm 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 conscious of time here. We've been going nearly an hour and a half, but I want to go back to. Um, yeah, yeah, right. You know the the element of touring that we were discussing previously. The um, the the kind of mental side of it, and and kind of like just like thinking about that in a bit of a wider way, and and the kind of. Yeah, for want of a better term, like work-life balance, you know, because you've you've always struck me as being a person who's very, a very conscious of it, but also mm -hmm. someone who's quite good at maintaining like a healthy sort of re relationship with your mm -hmm. work. So, tell me a bit more about that. Mm -hmm. how, how has that affected you, and how has how have you you know dealt with things over the years? What, um, what have you done? Yeah, I think it it just it it came obviously like you said from my upbringing also from my uh, uh, life as a personal trainer as a physical therapist I just learned a lot about the body and um, if you know more about things sometimes you are a little bit more careful with things um, and I always have been kind of cautious with my body and I have always been um, aware I've been trying to like feel into my body and to have a little sensitivity of what actually does feel good and what doesn't and i tried to listen to that that's that's basically um that's basically all i have to say to that because when i start to listen to that um it just allows me certain things and it does not allow me certain things i would i 
don't get me wrong, I'm not a, a straight edger or something like that. I'm not a um, person that is like um, really strict about the diet and no alcohol, never and always the right amount of sleep. I'm not. I'm not that. I mean, strict. you are. You are a person who who takes your health extremely seriously, though, right? I mean, well, I know you are because I've seen you in in the gym, right? So there is. I mean, mm. you're, you're you're very. Um, I don't know what the word is, conscientious, I suppose, to an extent. But I mean, but I, but I, I hear what you're saying. You don't take it to a, to an extreme. I think you can overdo it, and you, I think you can. It can, it can be a burden on your mind to be that strict, you know. Like because sometimes you need to let it go as well. I think I, I sometimes need to let it go as well. You know, sometimes I just need to have a few drinks, you know, um, and I feel good doing it. Maybe I have a little headache the next day, but I never drink as much as I really feel like shit the next day. So I'm well, trying I mean, to avoid that. To, to be that, honest, mate, you're, you're doing much better than most people. If, if, if you never drink, drink enough to have a really bad hangover. Let me tell I you, mean, um, I, I, I spent, I spent uh, the best part of two years completely teetotal and they were extremely good years. And, and mm-hmm. you forget, I mean, I mean you, I'm... I'm well, we're we're both getting older now, but I'm definitely older than you. And God, hangovers get worse. It's a complete cliche to say so, but oh, blimey, mm-hmm. they, they 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 really they really do. Yeah, I, I I can imagine, man. And that's and that's the touring lifestyle, right? You know, I I had to I had to stop drinking at shows a few years ago. That mm-hmm. was that was that was my way of of, of dealing mm-hmm. with it. Like, yeah. I had to just say, nope, I'm not even going to have one beer. Like, mm-hmm. if, if I need if I need to drink to relax, it's going to be on Monday night when I, you know, or Sunday night when I get home and I'll have my one beer yeah. to relax then and I'll go to yeah. bed. I'm not going to... My days of drinking half a bottle of vodka during a during a DJ set came yeah. to an end. Uh, yeah. And that was for the best, for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I sometimes have drinks during shows, but I, I, I feel when it's getting too much and then when it's affecting me and also i have this uh uh, advantage i would say that my shows are not that long so if i would imagine playing two three four hours and when you start drinking you know like time flies and then suddenly you you had a couple of drinks you know but for me or you you play that play that burkheim closing set and it's 10 11 12 hours (laughs) okay well that's a whole different story I have no idea how people manage that. Honestly. You know what? It's, it's it's funny because like you go to about after about six or seven hours, it all just kind of like blends into one, and you start Crazy. thinking in terms of hours instead of in terms of you know, how you think about a set. Normally, it's like you know, 15, 20 minute segments That's or whatever. Crazy. But you just start thinking in terms of hours, and it just they just they just fly by. I mean, I've done that set a few times, and. I mean, it is, I mean, you, you get on the scales when you get, you know, when you get home and you've lost at least a kilo, you know, like it's heavy duty. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine that. But, um, okay. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I think we've covered just about everything. I, I wanted yeah, to actually. It was I, great. Have, I, I, I got you. one more thing. Thank actually, you. I've got, I've got one more thing, which was going back to your love of hip hop. I want to. I want. I want some hip hop recommendations. We both did. Um, oh, there's that. You know, Amoeba Records in 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 LA or is it San Francisco? There was. Um, mm-hmm. They LA, do yeah. a um, like a like a YouTube series. I forget what it's called. Do you remember what it's called? Like, oh man, it's called. It's like it's, it's, you have to pick out some records. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's maybe something like what's in your bag or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, right. And I did one and I got fucking slated in my comments, man. Everyone absolutely hated me. And then you did you, you did yours and like you picked out these fucking hip hop tunes, man, and people were going fucking crazy. I was, I was extremely jealous <laughs> about that. So, so give us give us a, give us give us three hip hop tracks that, that that you would recommend to to the listener. Okay. Um well this is not a, a particular track, but um, it's an, an, an artist and uh, even more so a, a beat maker uh, who is doing a lot of beats at the moment for very, very successful trap artists. Um, but what I, like, what I like about him and a lot of beats he does, he has a, a very, very fine quality to what he does. He, he is very minimalistic, on the point type of approach. He's called Metro Boomin. Um, okay. And if you look up what he does and for what type of artists he makes beats, and if you kind of carve out only his beats, and if you look also for instrumental stuff he did, okay, I'll, I'll put I'll put the uh, I'll put some links in the show notes to that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he's a really um, respectable beat maker, I have to say, and also very successful, of course. Um, so yeah, um, then. One of the tracks that I really like um, on one of my favorite hip hop albums is is uh, first of all the album is by Scarface. It's called uh, The Untouchable. Um, yep. And for if you like looking for a kind of a a, a good mood, um, there is this track called Smile. It's actually um, with Tupac. Um, uh-huh. So I can I can recommend that one for sure. Nice. Um, and well, maybe I choose. Um, what, what else could I? I was thinking about actually some some German rap, but I, I can't I can't <laughs> come up with a, a one one uh, particular song that I would like to to recommend right now. Well, ex- actually, like a very very weird one. Uh, it's 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 completely um, it's completely unknown i would say and only in certain fields and also the that hip-hop crew doesn't even exist anymore and it's an austrian crew i used to see that see them live actually also uh, a couple of times they are called texta t-e-x-t-a okay um and they had a track called walkmania like like a walkman but walkmania Nice. Um, okay. And he was uh, uh, basically um, rapping about how he he uh, what relationship he has to his Walkman, you know, and okay, with right. the tape okay. and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, right. nice. and and he talks about like how he gets him through like subway tra- train rides and uh, walks through the city and and how it he feels when the battery gets low and. Just the, the the very intimate relationship he has to his Walkman, and and I think you, I, I think it's actually it is on YouTube, so it is it you can you can look it up. So right, I'll, I'll, um, I'll I'll link to it. I'll link to it in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, man. Well, like I said, it's been great chatting to you. It's been too long. It's too long, man. Since we had we had to extend it, man. We had to talk about a lot of stuff. So it's it's fair enough. <laughs> absolutely man well yeah thanks for having me thank you yeah absolutely you. man I'll check you soon yeah talk to you soon so that was Recondite and um, I think you'll probably agree that he's uh, someone who is pretty unusual 
um, in his his outlook, but extremely, extremely interesting. And um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Um, so if you have anything to say about this, then join us on the Hot Flush Discord server. Check the link in the show notes to get yourself there. Otherwise, grab me on Twitter at ScubaOfficial. Um, if you've got anything to say at all, positive or negative, if you've got any suggestions or anything, or suggestions for future guests or anything you have to say, really, be more than happy to hear from you. So just finally, leave us a review, leave us a rating wherever you're listening to this. It really, really does help. Everyone says it. That's because it's true. And um, yeah, I will see you next time on the Not A Diving Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.